Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Friday, December 22nd, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's UN ambassador is urging Security Council members to advocate for peace as they discuss a new draft resolution on the Gaza conflict. Quake-affected people in northwest China are comforted by hot meals. Tesla's Gigafactory in Shanghai reaps the benefits as China advocates higher-level openness. In business, the Chinese currency becomes the fourth most active currency for global payments. In sports, Manchester City expected to win its fifth title of the year in the FIFA Club World Cup final. In culture and entertainment, the top 10 grossing films in Chinese box office in 2023. Now today's top stories. A new draft UN Security Council resolution is calling for a halt in Israeli attacks in Gaza and facilitating urgently needed humanitarian aid. China's UN Ambassador Zhang Jun has urged members to advocate for peace. The UAE has conducted extensive consultations with all members on the content of the draft resolution. It also listened to the opinions of United Nations humanitarian agencies and gained support of the vast majority of members. China also participated in the core proposal of the draft resolution. No country has any reason to hesitate over the draft. We urge relevant members to maintain a constructive attitude and support the Security Council to take action in saving lives. The United States says it's ready to support a UN Security Council resolution that was delayed several times. The U.S. has previously struck down two resolutions, and Hamas has accused Washington of abusing its veto power. A United Nations-backed body says the proportion of households in Gaza affected by high levels of acute food insecurity is the largest ever recorded globally. A report by the Integrated Food Security Phase Classification categorizes over 90% of the Gaza population at crisis level or worse. The UN says the amount of food, water and medicine entering the enclave via Egypt only covers 10% of the demand. Dr. Margaret Harris from the World Health Organization explains the severity of famine. There's never been a famine as big as this. It's very, very high. And the worst part of this is it's an entirely man-made famine. It's because food, as you mentioned, as we said, cannot get in. And even if we can get it in, distributing it, particularly in the north, is extremely difficult and extremely dangerous. We are bringing aid. But we bring in medical supplies, that's what we bring in. And when we bring in medicine, we, our trucks are surrounded. And we have to say, sorry, it's medicine, not food. The only answer here is a ceasefire. And honestly, it's very difficult for us to understand how there can be any other argument. There is nobody's winning this. Nobody's winning here. Uh, the world is losing. We're losing our moral compass because we are standing by and watching people starve to death. If they're not killed by the bombs, they're killed slowly by starvation and disease. This is not a win. This cannot be an objective in anybody's lexicon. That was Dr. Margaret Harris from the World Health Organization on the shortage of supplies in Gaza. The World Health Organization says northern Gaza is without any functional hospitals due to a lack of fuel, staff and supplies. 
The WHO is delivering supplies, including medical equipment and staff, to the Al Shifa hospital. It suffered destruction caused by repeated Israeli strikes on the area. WHO emergency medical team coordinator Sean Cassie says fuel is also needed to keep Gaza's hospital running. We've just brought some additional medical supplies, and we talked about bringing in a team of surgeons and additional providers, doctors, nurses. But actually, what the, the staff said is, what the hospital first needs is fuel. Fuel is the blood of a hospital. It's what makes the generator run, what keeps the lights on, which makes all the machines work. And until we can get fuel here, bringing a team of surgeons, surgical equipment, is going to do very little. Mostly, what they're doing here is trauma stabilization, providing some. Pain management, some wound care. How can that hospital function without fuel and when it's coming under attack? A UN report shows more than half a million people in Gaza are starving. Nearly two million Gaza residents have been driven from their homes, and many of them are crammed into UN shelters. The conflict between Hamas and Israel has also pushed Gaza's health sector into collapse. Only nine of its 36 health facilities are still partially functioning, all located in the south. British Foreign Secretary David Cameron has visited Egypt for talks on a truce and the delivery of humanitarian aid to Gaza. Britain has been calling for what it describes as a sustainable ceasefire. Egypt has been a mediator in the Israel-Hamas conflict. It helped broker the last hostage exchange last month. Adola Mahouri reports from Cairo. British Foreign Minister David Cameron arrived in Cairo on Thursday for talks on a possible ceasefire in Gaza. He first met Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi before holding more in-depth discussions with Foreign Minister Sameh Shukri. The two said they're coordinating efforts seeking to secure the release of hostages still being in Gaza, ensure a wider reach of aid to the Palestinians, and help in brokering a sustainable ceasefire. In terms of what Britain is doing, is we're saying very clearly to Israel, they have to obey international humanitarian law. They should minimize the number of civilian casualties. And let me be frank: I want this conflict to end as soon as possible. What we need is a sustainable ceasefire. Yemen's Houthis have been attacking vessels at the Bab el Mandeb Strait to show support to the Palestinians, threatening a massive interruption in global supply chains and Egypt's Suez Canal. The two countries also focused their talks on efforts to secure navigation in the Red Sea. Cameron's visit came at the same time that Ismail Haniyeh, the leader of the Palestinian resistance group Hamas, held talks with the Egyptian intelligence chief. Egypt is trying to push for a second round of a ceasefire. Haniyeh's statements, however, do not indicate that a deal is imminent. He says Israel's talks about a future for Gaza without Hamas are delusional, and that no exchange of hostages will take place without a ceasefire. Obstacles to the talks primarily come from the Israeli side. Israel wants the release of all Hamas hostages, but is offering only a few hours of ceasefire, which means that it aims to continue its bombardment and proceed with an unfortunate plan to forcefully migrate Palestinians in Gaza to Egypt and other countries to terminate the two-state solution and end any hope to resolve the Palestinian crisis. Egypt is working with Arab and Islamic nations on a Security Council resolution that aims to approve a wider flow of aid into Gaza. On Thursday, Shukri said that more than 70 countries are so far supporting it. We've been working on this resolution for a month now. It is primarily a humanitarian decision. It focuses on managing this conflict and increasing the volume of aid to face the humanitarian catastrophe in the Gaza Strip. 
more than 20,000 people have been killed, among them around 8,000 are children. 70% of buildings have been destroyed and health facilities have been targeted. Continuing these efforts, leaders from Palestinian Islamic Jihad are coming to the Egyptian capital next week to secure stronger support for Egypt's mediation efforts. That was Adola Mahouri reporting. At least 15 people are dead and dozens injured in a university shooting in Prague. It's the worst mass shooting in the Czech Republic. Police say the shooter was also a student. The prime minister says they are not regarding the attack as an act of terrorism. The government has declared a day of national mourning on Saturday for the victims. Pablo Gutierrez has more. This 24-year-old man unleashed a hail of gunfire at around 12.45 p.m. Police were called to a small village outside of Prague. They found a man there who they believe is the suspect's father. He was shot dead. Now, police, after uh, going into that scene, they started immediately looking for his son. The student uh, was to attend a class at the philosophy faculty, and police arrived there. They didn't find him, and they cleared the scene at around 2.22 p.m., but at a different campus on the university. They started getting those calls of gunfire, students trapped inside classroom. This suspect uh, was moving room to room, um, we don't know if he had someone in mind. When police finally arrived, they confronted the suspect, they exchanged gunfire, and then he took his own life. We know from uh, the police investigation that he had made several statements basically saying that he was going to take his life. Police also were looking for explosives. There were um, numerous reports of explosions in the area. They have cleared Charles University. They have found no indications of uh, explosives there. That was Pablo Gutierrez on the university shooting in Prague. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, quake-affected people in northwest China are comforted by hot meals. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive. The podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. It's 11 minutes past the hour. A local construction company in northwest China is setting up hundreds of makeshift homes after a powerful earthquake struck the region earlier this week. The strong tremor has killed more than 140 people and displaced tens of thousands. Treating the injured and helping survivors are the priorities at the moment. In addition to settling into new shelters, people at the site near the epicenter in Gansu province are also marking winter solstice with dumplings, which is a traditional food for this occasion in most parts of northern China. Chen Ziyuan tells us more. You can hear the noise, it's pretty loud here because today is the winter solstice uh, festival here, a special uh, festival for Chinese uh, to celebrate the winter and people are waiting for dumplings here. Um, however, I'm holding some of the dumplings here. Um, 600 grams of dumplings are delivered to this specific location with 44 households and behind me here are some of the cardboards that are being set up, hosting about 300 people here. Um, I actually talked to the official who are in charge of 
of the Maypur village. He said that around 4,770 people are staying in this village. And uh, so far, the uh, construction bureau will deliver 500 carbon carbonate here. We're expecting more efforts to come into this location. Meanwhile, people are waiting in lines for dumplings um, to celebrate this special day. And also, the food supply here are uh, pretty uh, enough here at this location specifically there are also for example packages of ramen noodles um, being uh, delivered to their cabinets and kids especially elderly are some of the majority of the family members that stay in this village so uh, this is the current situation here we're expecting to see the 500 cabinet uh, handed over to the village committee um, but the, the construction is still going on that was Tenzi Yuan reporting the Chinese armed forces have brought a field kitchen to the earthquake zone when they arrived for rescue operations. The versatile portable kitchen comforts the affected people with nutritious and fresh meals. Guo Tianqi takes a look at the food on offer. Stewed chicken, beef and mutton. These attractive steaming hot meals were free and provided for survivors near the earthquake's epicenter. The PLA 76th Army, stationed in Linxiahui Autonomous Prefecture, arrived at this resettlement camp within four hours after the earthquake hit, bringing with it a field kitchen. This vehicle can be used to steam, boil, and fry food. These are pressure cookers that are more efficient when cooking in high altitude areas like this. The cooking trailer can be connected to huge trucks and move very effectively with the army together. And during their practice, their trainings and drillings, each cooking trailer can provide catering services for about 150 soldiers. And the 150 meals only requires four soldiers to make the food in one hour. All ingredients are delivered and prepared on the same day to ensure food safety. This is stewed beef with potatoes. Here are mainly the Hui people, so we cook Muslim food. We are providing 24 hours logistic support. Whenever you come, we can get you a hot meal. They are the most lovely people. They give away all their tents to the locals, and they lived in trucks with no heat. And they are always working from 6 a.m. to the midnight every day. As the sun goes down, the field kitchen is ready to serve people food. I ate pretty good these days. Dumplings, beef noodles and steamed rice with different dishes. I had beef and milk today. These tents, mattresses and heaters are all provided by the PLA. In addition to the field kitchen, other equipment was provided like the Y-20 strategic transport plane and the wing-long 2H large unmanned aerial vehicle that were used to support the emergency rescue work after the earthquake hit the region. That was Guo Tianqi in Gansu province. The number of deaths in Guinea's oil depot explosion has climbed to 23. The government is still investigating the cause of the incident. It warns that the scale of destruction may have repercussions for the wider population. Nick, Mid Nick Mudima has reports. The blast spread over a radius of more than a kilometer, devastating everything in its path. Although the fire was contained, it destroyed buildings and houses, 
leaving hundreds of families homeless and dependent on charity. I woke up around midnight to use the toilet. While heading towards the bathroom, I heard a loud noise and noticed that the houses were collapsing. As I picked up my three children, a brick fell on my feet. We observed three objects flying over our houses, which may have caused the destruction. There is talk of an accident, but it was not accidental. We urged the government to relocate the fuel depot and assist us in finding new homes as ours have been destroyed. This area which has been hit the hardest is a popular neighborhood with a large number of residents, including pregnant women, nurses and children. Due to the situation, they have been evacuated to the suburbs. Currently, many of us have nowhere to sleep and are forced to sleep outside. Those who emerged and scathed may still be at risk after breathing contaminated air. In addition to carbon dioxide, combustion of this type also releases other toxic particles into the environment. These particles can cause illness and harm to the body. Therefore, we do not recommend consuming fatty foods in such circumstances. For instance, milk can facilitate diffusion of these toxic particles to other organs that are rich in fat. Thus, these particles will accumulate in the lungs and brain, causing health problems that were not identified at the time of the disaster. To prevent these, we ask people to pay attention to their diet. The cause of the fire is yet to be determined. However, the government is probing the possibility that the incident may have been the result of arson. Service stations were temporarily closed across the country over concerns of fuel shortages. Guinea imports refined oil products, which were mostly stored in the burnt-down terminal before being distributed across the country on trucks. That was Nick Mudimba on the oil terminal explosion in Guinea. China's first domestically built ultra-deep-water drill ship has begun its trial voyage on Friday. The drill ship has been named Mengxiang, or Dream in Chinese. The ship can travel 15,000 nautical miles and sustain for 120 days without returning to port. Zhou Gang is the drilling vessel's command head. The ship has a total tonnage of 33,000 and a displacement of 42,500 tons, making it one of the most fuel-efficient ships in its size category. Despite its limited space, the ship manages to house nine major laboratories by using a modular design throughout. Every detail in the design has been carefully crafted, showcasing the top-notch Chinese design expertise. The ship is also home to the world's largest and most comprehensive onboard laboratory covering an area of over 3,000 square meters. Construction of the ship began in November 2021 with the main structure successfully assembled by December 2022. The rocket tests with launching China's Tianzhou 7th cargo spacecraft to the space station has arrived in the Wenchang spacecraft launch site. It will undergo assembly and testing together with Tianzhou 7 in China's southernmost province of Hainan. Meanwhile, the Shenzhou 17 crew has completed its first spacewalk outside the Tiangong space station. The astronauts perform tasks such as a solar wind repair test. Coming up, Tesla's Gigafactory in Shanghai reaps the benefits as China advances higher-level openness. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, 
academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. It's 20 minutes past the hour. China is marking the 45th anniversary of its reform and opening up policy this week. In today's special report, we take you to American car maker Tesla's Gigafactory in Shanghai, which has reaped the benefits as China strives to advance higher-level openness, particularly in the high-end manufacturing sector. In September, Tesla's Shanghai factory celebrated the production of its two millionth car just 13 months after reaching the one millionth mark. That milestone took 33 months to achieve. So, what's behind the extraordinary growth of this automo- automotive powerhouse? Guo Yan visited the Tesla factory in Shanghai to find out. Every 40 seconds, a brand new car rolls out from the assembly line at Tesla's Gigafactory in Shanghai, which delivers more than half of new cars sold by Tesla worldwide this year. Senior engineer Li Xiaofeng is showing me the latest EV models that he's been involved in. Li joined Tesla in 2019 when the bright and clean factory was built from scratch on the outskirts of Shanghai. The facility broke ground in January, and by the end of the year, its first car rolled out from the assembly line. The speed, in Li's words, is miraculous. It's truly a miracle. The factory was built up and running within a year. It was the only gigafactory putting off something like that at the time. Normally, it takes about two years for a company to get through the whole process. The rapid expansion of the Shanghai site set a record unprecedented in other Tesla factories, four in the U.S. and one in Germany. Driving this momentum is a robust supply chain. The supply chain is vital. Think of auto parts as the arms or feet of a human. Even a small part can mess up the whole auto manufacturing process. Some molds that make car parts are crafted in Shanghai, while others are made in neighboring provinces within the Yangtze River Delta, like Anhui. Ninety-five percent of the company's auto parts are sourced from local suppliers in the Yangtze River Delta, a manufacturing powerhouse with Shanghai at its heart. Within the region, a new energy vehicle factory can secure all necessary component supplies within a four-hour drive. Senior economist Yang Lianxing with the Shanghai Society of World Economy has been analyzing foreign investment trends in Shanghai for years. He believes the overall improvement of the supply chain makes China an attractive hub for global manufacturers. The quick response from various suppliers in the region is what really keeps a car maker like Tesla running smoothly. When you need tens of thousands of parts just to put one car together, 
In the first 11 months of the year, the factory's deliveries jumped 30% over a year ago, and the American carmaker is doubling down on its commitment to China by planning the construction of another mega factory in Shanghai to make energy storage products. Tesla's gigafactory is in Lingang, within the Shanghai Pilot Free Trade Zone, where new policies supporting foreign investment are first tested before being rolled out elsewhere. Economist Yang speaks highly of those policies. Previously, foreign car makers could only set up joint ventures in China by teaming up with a local firm with ownership limits. But the gigafactory in Lingang is wholly owned by Tesla. Giving the company more autonomy and helping foster innovation. In October, China announced the removal of all restrictions on foreign investment in the manufacturing sector. The Economist says the move sends out a positive signal for global investors. Tesla having its own gigafactory in Shanghai is thanks to the shortening negative list for foreign investments. Just like Tesla, other foreign investments in different fields now have a chance to enter China as fully owned enterprises. The Shanghai Pilot Free Trade Zone is one of 21 such zones in China that span from coastal areas to the hinterlands deep in the northwest. These zones attract nearly one fifth of the country's total foreign investment. According to the Ministry of Commerce, China's overall negative list for foreign investment have been reduced by more than 80% over the past 10 years. The streamlined negative list is a testament of China's commitment to high standard opening up, as explained by senior economist Yang. We used to welcome guests at the door, open ports for foreign investment. Now we are all about helping our guests once they are in. Fewer restrictions, a fair playing field with local companies. Plus, foreign firms can now apply for funds supporting tech innovation, just like domestic ones. Since 1978, when China began opening its market to the world, over one million foreign companies have been set up in China, with accumulated investments of nearly 20 trillion yuan or 2.8 trillion U.S. dollars. Opening up to the world has transformed the largest developing country into the world's second-largest economy, the largest manufacturer, and the biggest trader of goods. China now contributes over 30 percent of global growth. For global business leaders like Elon Musk, investing in China is investing in the future. The Chinese economy, I think, is going to do extremely well over the next decade, and it's also committed to a sustainable energy future. So we're we're building、uh, cars. We have. That's our special report on Tesla's gigafactory in Shanghai. An American businessman has attributed China's achievements under its reform and opening up to the resolve of the Chinese people. MCM Group Holdings founder and CEO Manuel Menendez called the development a miracle. The key is not only the policy, which Deng Xiaoping I think really、uh, did an、uh, incredible job at、uh, making that happen. But also, the, I, I want to give full credit to the hard work and determination of the Chinese people, who I've worked with all these years, who have done a fabulous job、mm. at making policy into the reality of the China today. The business leader was involved in the first China-U.S. joint venture when Citic and a Chicago-based company built a factory in Guangzhou. 
China is now the world's second largest economy. Its GDP expanded from less than 150 billion U.S. dollars in 1978 to 18 trillion dollars last year. It's 28 minutes past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 11 this evening. Saturday will be sunny with a high of zero. Chongqing is 5 tonight, tomorrow cloudy and 11. Lhasa is minus 6 overnight, tomorrow will see snow showers with a high of 8. Hong Kong is 8 tonight and it'll be cloudy and 13 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 0 overnight, overcast and 9 on Saturday. Islamabad has light rain with a low of 8 this, e- this evening, tomorrow sunny and 23. Bangkok is 19 overnight, then overcast and 29 on Saturday. Now it's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's UN ambassador is urging Security Council members to advocate for peace as they discuss a new draft resolution on the Gaza conflict. Quake-affected people in northwest China are comforted by hot meals. Do Hongyu with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. I love you. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Friday. Still to come in business, the Chinese currency becomes the fourth most active currency for global payments. In sports, Manchester City expected to win its fifth title of the year in the FIFA Club World Cup final. In culture and entertainment, the top 10 grossing films in Chinese box office in 2023. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first, today's headlines. Here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Hong Yu. Senior military officials of China and the United States have had their first conversation in over a year after the two countries' leaders agreed to resume such contact at their meeting in San Francisco. Liu Zhenli, a Central Military Commission member and the chief of the commission's Joint Staff Department, held a virtual meeting with Jen C.Q. Brown, chairman of the Joint, Sta- Joint Chiefs of Staff of the U.S. military, on Thursday. Liu stressed that the Taiwan question is China's internal affair that does not not allow any external interference, and the Chinese military will firmly defend national sovereignty and territorial integrity. He also said the U.S. should respect China's territorial sovereignty and maritime rights and interests in the South China Sea and take practical actions to safeguard regional peace and stability, as well as the overall situation in the China-U.S. relations. Czech Prime Minister Peter Fiala says there is no justification for the university shooting in Prague where 15 people, including the gunman, are dead. Fiala described the attack as a horrific act. He says they will provide assistance to the injured, their families and the families of the victims. Like many of you, I feel deep sadness and disgust in the face of this senseless and brutal violence. At the moment, it appears to have been the act of a lone gunman who is now dead. It is therefore not an act of international terrorism or an organized group. 
I have been assured that the security forces have the situation entirely under control, and that there is no further danger to the citizens of the Czech Republic. Police and the city's rescue service said it was the worst mass shooting in the Czech Republic. The bloodshed took place in the philosophy department building of Charles University, where the shooter was a student. One food kitchen is feeding hundreds of residents in the southern Gaza Strip city of Rafah as fighting between Israel and Hamas continues. Aya Berberk is one of many who return to the food point on a daily basis. I come here every day to take food and go back. I don't want them to supply us with food only for four or five days. We want it every day. We want to rust just like other people. The lack of food is becoming a huge problem due to limited border crossings opening to Gaza that bring in trickles of aid. Spokesperson Mahmoud El-Kishawi of Pious Project that runs the kitchen says what they are doing is far from meeting the need. We are preparing hundreds of uh, soup and hot meals for the displaced families who evacuated their homes from the north of the Gaza Strip to the south here. All of these people live under challenging uh, circumstances. They are under uh, privations. Actually, we have many problems. Even if we provide food, but we have many problems like we have no access to gas. So we go to streets to gather some woods to burn the fire and cook the food. And also a huge number of families and we don't have food that is enough for them. The United Nations says nearly half of Gaza's population is in a situation of extreme or severe hunger and 90% regularly goes without food for a whole day. Only 10% of the food required has entered Gaza in the last 70 days. The Panama Canal Authority has reported no significant traffic increase due to the situation in the Red Sea. It came as Yemen's Houthi group has escalated attacks in recent weeks on Israel-bound commercial ships passing through the Red Sea, demanding an end to Israel's attacks on the Gaza Strip. The hostilities have put a chokehold on ship passages through the Suez Canal, which handles about 12% of worldwide trade. Analysts say it could end up forcing some vessel owners to try to pass the Panama Canal even amid transit restrictions due to severe drought. France is reportedly planning to close its embassy in Niger for an indefinite period. A letter seen by Reuters says the embassy is unable to carry out diplomatic tasks due to restrictions imposed by the ruling junta in the African country. Army officers in Niger toppled President Mohamed Bazoum and seized power in July. They ordered the expulsion of France's ambassador and called for the departure of French troops. There were also protests against the former colonial power outside the French embassy in the army. Ukraine says it has received signals that Russia's military planning and activity have been slowing. Meanwhile, the top commander of Russian troops in Ukraine says Kyiv's recent counteroffensive has failed. Valery Grasimov says Ukrainian forces were unable to overcome Russian defensive lines. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu with Headline News. And this is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, the Chinese currency becomes the fourth most active currency for global payments. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 
12.36 past the hour. Turning to business, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Hongyu. The Chinese mainland markets closed lower on Friday. Sun Siqi has more. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland were fairly static. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index closed 0.13% to lower, and the Shenzhen component also traded fractionally lower. Gaming stocks bore the brunt of the loss after China's National Press and Publication Administration issued draft rules for online game management and is seeking public comment on the rules through January 22nd. Chinese regulators require online games to set spending limits and ban daily login rewards, among others. Hubei Century Network Technology was the top loser, dropping 18%, while Shenzhen Bingchuan Network nosedived 17%. That was Sun Siqi in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped around 1.7%. In Japan, the Nikkei closed slightly above flat. Chinese authorities say the country's annual growth in value-added industrial output is expected to exceed 4.3% this year. The Ministry of Industry and Information Technology says the output of China's major high-tech manufacturers expanded 2.3% on a yearly basis, while that of the equipment manufacturing sector increased 6.4%. The ministry also says the output of the manufacturing sector will rank first in the world for the 14th straight year in 2023. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin says China remains the biggest growth driver for the world economy. It is widely acknowledged that China is the biggest growth engine of the global economy. Research by the International Monetary Fund shows that China's rapid economic growth has positive spillover effects on the rest of the world, with every one percentage point of growth in China raising the output level of other economies by an average of 0.3 percentage points. Wang stressed that China has a large market and the recent macro policies have given a strong boost to the country's economic recovery. The spokesperson also noted that China will continue to ramp up efforts to improve the business environment. The Chinese currency renminbi climbed one position to become the fourth most active currency for global payments by value in November, with a share of 4.6%. That's according to the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, or otherwise known as SWIFT. It is a global provider of financial managing services. It says renminbi payment value increased by around 35% compared to October. China's major state-owned commercial banks have further lowered deposit interest rates to boost the real economy. The banks have lowered the rate for one-year fixed-term deposits by 0.1 percentage points, the two-year rates by 0.2 percentage points, and the three-year and five-year rates, both by a quarter of one percentage points. This is the third deposit interest card for state-owned big banks this year, following previous cards in June and September. Since the beginning of this year, China's loan interest rate has continued to decline. China ranks first in the world's Uh, in the world in the number of automated container terminals, with 18 already built and 27 under construction or renovation. Deputy Director Yang Huaxing of the Water Transport Bureau says the country has now become a leading power in water transportation. We have mastered core technologies covering the entire chain of design and construction, equipment manufacturing, system integration and operation management, with the overall application skill and technical level among the advanced in the world. 
The official says China will build a number of world-class smart ports and water routes in the next couple of years. Official data shows China's online retail sales of physical goods account for over 27% of the total retail sales volume in the first 11 months. That figure was around two trillion U.S. dollars, up 11% on a yearly basis. Meanwhile, November's online sales volume of outbound trips increased by over 10 times as people in China are preparing to enjoy the New Year holiday season. Live streaming e-commerce has become a main platform for online consumption. Accounting for half of all online sales volume, Tesla has launched its new Megapack battery manufacturing plant in Shanghai. The project is capable of producing 10,000 Megapacks per year. Construction on the new project is scheduled to begin in the first quarter of next year, with production starting in the fourth quarter. U.S. aviation giant Boeing has made its first direct delivery of a 787 Dreamliner to China since 2019, and the aircraft and the aircraft has landed in Shanghai. China suspended most orders and deliveries of Boeing planes in 2019 after the 737 Max was grounded worldwide following two fatal crashes. The company expects China to account for 20% of the world's aircraft demands through to 2042. The U.S. economy grew 4.9 percent, a rate lower than expected, but still considered the fastest pace of expansion since the fourth quarter of 2021. The U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis says the rise in- reflects increases in consumer and government spending. Benji Hire has more. U.S. GDP has been expanding all year, and in the third quarter, at a far greater level than central bank officials here regard as sustainable to maintain inflation at its two percent target. The Federal Reserve last week held interest rates steady at their highest point in 22 years, following multiple hikes in a bid to tackle inflation, which last year hit a 40-year high. That historic monetary policy tightening. Hasn't hampered economic growth, which has continued to fuel price rises. Yet the Fed is looking to reduce rates next year, a move that could invite more borrowing, more spending, more growth, and more inflation. The Fed is saying that there's a possibility that there will be three rate cuts in 2024, probably starting in the second quarter, maybe even the middle of the year. Uh, but the market seems to be building in the prospect of four or more rate cuts in 2024, with the first one coming as early as the end of the first quarter. That would have implications beyond the markets. This uh, concern with inflation is a is a, a mask for a much broader set of concerns that really spill outside of the economy into the political realm, into the public.、Uh, Debates going on over whether the war is is、uh, how we should respond to the war in the Middle East, how we should respond to the war in Ukraine, how we should、uh, handle the China situation, and the political divisions in the country, and a very strange presidential election that seems to be looming. Joe Biden's setting out his pitch to voters that his policies are helping the working class. We're doing it by building an economy. From the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. Not a whole lot trickle down on my dad's kitchen table with the top down economy. But when you middle from the middle, when you increase the middle class, the poor have a shot and the wealthy still do very well. The middle class does well and we all do well. That's what we call Bidenomics. 
Despite healthy GDP figures, almost two-thirds of Americans disapprove of Biden's job performance, according to a poll this week, with respondents citing concerns over the economy. That was Benji Hire reporting from Washington. The White House says Nippon Steel's planned purchase of American company U.S. Steel deserves serious scrutiny. On Monday, Nippon said it would buy Pittsburgh-based U.S. Steel for 14.9 billion U.S. dollars. The purchase of the century-old steelmaker would create one of the world's biggest steel companies. But the sale has drawn the, the attention of lawmakers in both parties in the U.S. as some say the move could shift steelworking jobs to low-wage states. Threaten national security and undermine the U.S. steel industry. Angola has announced it is leaving the oil producers' organization OPEC over a dispute on output quotas. It follows OPEC's decision last month to further slash oil production next year. Angola produces about 1.1 million barrels per day out of the 330 million from the whole OPEC. The African nation is not the first to leave. Ecuador, Indonesia, and Qatar have all done the same. OPEC is a grouping of oil producers which decides how much crude oil to sell on the world market, along with an expanded group called OPEC Plus. The Serbian section of the Belgrade-Budapest high-speed railway line is set to begin operations by the end of next year. Serbian President Aleksandar Vučić made the announcement during his visit to the construction site in Vojvodina province in northern Serbia. Two Chinese companies are in charge of the project. The Serbian president says he is satisfied with the progress. I am delighted to see that Novi Sad Subotica section is progressing at an amazing speed, thanks to the Chinese railway construction team for their tremendous efforts to complete the project ahead of schedule. What I want to say is that this project brings about enormous changes to the nation and the people of Serbia. The high-speed railway is a flagship project of China-Serbia Belt and Road Cooperation, with over half of the total length located in Serbia. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zihang with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Manchester City expected to win its fifth title of the year in the FIFA Club World Cup final. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Forty-seven past the hour. Turning to sports, and here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Hongyu. Manchester City has the chance to win its fifth title of the year when it faces Brazilian side Fluminense in the FIFA Club World Cup final in Jeddah. Manager Pep Guardiola has encouraged his players to cherish the opportunity to win the global trophy. It's so difficult to play to come here. You have to win the Libertadores. You have to win the Champions League, and both competitions are really, really, really tough. And and that's why it's just prepared, it's unique, and give all what we have to because it's something that remains, remains forever. When you win this competition, it remains forever. Premier League, okay, had this season, next season, next season, next season, all will be there. But here, I don't know if we come back to play a final for World Cup, you know. City secured the UEFA Champions League, English Premier League, and English FA Cup treble earlier in the year, and added the UEFA Super Cup to their list of trophies in August. 
The European Union's top court has ruled in a landmark decision that revived the breakaway Super League project. The court says UEFA and the FIFA acted unlawfully to block the Super League, which was formed by 12 elite European clubs last year to replace the Champions League. Organizers brought the case to court after the project failed at lunch, accusing UEFA of breaching European law by allegedly abusing its market dominance. UEFA president Alexander Chifrin had called club leaders liars and threatened to ban players from Super League clubs. He says the Super League won't succeed despite ruling. But despite that, we will not try to stop them. We Even before, we never uh, tried to stop them. And we said that, even I said that publicly many times. They can create whatever they want. I hope that uh, they start their uh, fantastic uh, competition as soon as possible with, with two clubs. I hope they know what, what they are doing, which I'm not so sure about. Real Madrid and Barcelona, the only two clubs now leading the project, welcome the ruling. Real president Florentino Perez says it's a great day in the history of football. Allow me to tell the European clubs that we are at the dawn of a new era, that will allow us to work freely on the basis of constructive dialogue, without threats, without acting against anything or anyone, and with the aim of innovating and modernizing football in order to continue sustaining the fans' passions. Starting today, the present and the future of European football are in the hands of the clubs, the players and the fans. However, no other clubs have come forward to support Paris' vision. Many big clubs, including Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Bayern Munich and the Paris Saint-Germain have voiced their opposition to the Super League, whatever its shape. In La Liga action, Real Madrid found its way to victory against Alaves despite a lackluster performance. Lucas Vasquez scored with the header in stoppage time and Madrid pulled off a 1-0 win on the road to reclaim first place of the Spanish league standings. Madrid was playing with 10 men from the 54th minute after defender Nacho Fernandez was sent off with a straight red card for a hard foul. Previous frontrunner Girona conceded a late equalizer in its one-all draw at Real Betis earlier on Thursday. Real and Girona are tied on 45 points, but Madrid was ahead on the tiebreaker. In NBA basketball, the Pistons are now just one loss away from the most consecutive defeats in a single season. Detroit fell to its 25th straight loss against the shorthanded Utah Jazz 119-111 on Thursday night. Kelly Olenek scored 25 points to Utah, which was playing without four of its top seven scorers, including Laurie Markkanen and Jordan Clarkson. The Pistons only won two of their 28 games this season under first-year coach Mundy Williams. They will be back in action on Saturday at Brooklyn Nets. In other games, Anthony Edwards had 27 points to lead the Minnesota Timberwolves past the Los Angeles 118-111 and hand Lakers their fourth straight loss. LeBron James set out on the second night of back-to-back games. The Wolves now tied Boston for the NBA's best record. John Morant had 20 points and 8 assists in his first home game following a 25-game suspension to help the Memphis Grizzlies beat Indiana Pacers 116-103. And finally, in Major League Baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers have signed another Japanese player as prized free agent pitcher Yoshinobu Yamamoto agreed to a 12-year contract with a team worth $325 million. 
Yamamoto is set to join the countryman Shuhei Otani with the Dodgers. The New York Yankees and the New York Mets were among the many clubs that pursued Yamamoto. It's the third major pitching coup for the NL West champion this offseason. In addition to Otani, the team signed right-hander Tyler Glasnow after he was traded from the Tampa Bay Rays to LA. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, the top 10 grossing films in Chinese box office in 2023. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Feng Nian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. It's 54 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, stats show that the top 10 grossing films in Chinese box office in the past year are all domestic productions. As of Friday, China's overall box office, box office revenue in 2023 has reached nearly 53 billion yuan, or over 7.4 billion U.S. dollars, up 76% from a year ago. The 10 highest grossing movies contributed more than half of the ticket sales. Six, six of them, including Zhang Yimou's Full River Red, sci-fi blockbuster The Wandering Earth II, and criminal drama No More Bet, earned more than 2 billion yuan each. Fast 10 of the Fast and Furious series is the best-performing overseas production in China, ranking 12th in the revenue with 980 million yuan. The Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area has profound historical and cultural heritage, and each region has its unique culture. Through the efforts of many young people, cultural exchanges between the three regions have become increasingly close. Zhou Yixing spoke to one woman from Macau who devotes much of her life to promoting traditional Chinese culture. Ellie Li, a youth advocate in Macau, is president of the Greater Bay Area Youth Daily. In addition to that role, she's also president of the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area Youth Theater Association, which commits to promoting traditional Chinese culture in the Greater Bay Area. I position myself as a promoter of traditional Chinese opera, especially Quenchu opera. I hope to make those ancient arts more revitalized through modern means. Our Great Bay Area Youth Theatre Association has done a lot of work, such as holding lectures on traditional Chinese opera on campus and offering experienced classes. We have also done an original drama that combines Quintry opera with the historical story of Macau. Traveling across Guangdong, Hong Kong and Macau is part of Li's daily routine. Her theatre association brings young people from the three regions together to create artistic works. She said one production, telling the story of the Greater Bay Area, makes her especially proud. 
The music performance One Heart Knot shows three sisters from Guangdong, Hong Kong, and Macau gathering together on the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge. It tells that after the bridge opened to traffic, it is more convenient for them to get together. It also tells the story of how the people of Guangdong, Hong Kong, and Macau work together to overcome difficulties, including facing natural disasters as well as helping each other, such as building projects to provide water supply to Hong Kong. Driven by young people like Ellie Lee, who love traditional Chinese culture, more and more people in Macau have enhanced their knowledge and understanding of traditional Chinese culture. And people-to-people -people exchanges and cooperation between the mainland and Macau have become increasingly close. That was Zhou Yixian on the story of a traditional Chinese opera promoter from Macau. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has announced Oscar nominations in 10 categories, including Best International Feature, Documentary, Original Song, and Visual Effects. Among the 15 international features, The Zone of Interest from the UK, The Taste of Things from France, and Fallen Leaves from Finland. 20 Days in Mariupol is in competition for both the documentary and international feature categories. As expected, Barbie, Oppenheimer, and Killers of the Flower Moon are among the finalists in many categories, including score and sound. Three songs from Barbie, including I'm Just Ken, are the original song contenders. Organizers will announce the nominations in all categories next month. The 96th Oscars, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel, will take place on March the 10th. It's 58 minutes past the hour. Before we go, let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 11 this evening. Saturday will be sunny with a high of zero. Chongqing is 5 tonight. Tomorrow, cloudy and 11. Lhasa is minus 6 overnight. Tomorrow, we'll see snow showers with a high of 8. Hong Kong is 8 tonight, and it'll be cloudy and 13 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 0 overnight, overcast, and 9 on Saturday. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China's UN ambassador is urging Security Council members to advocate for peace as they discuss a new draft resolution on the Gaza conflict. On behalf of the staff, this is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. <laughs>